Nancy Drew says that all you need to solve a mystery is an inquisitive temperament and two good friends. And I've got an inquisitive temperament. Maybe I could help solve this. Mm, I think you're a little young to be investigating an attempted murder. Why don't you try to solve the mystery of who put that mud in the freezer? Who wants chocolate ice cream? Me! 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 Everybody and welcome back to a special part two of Simpsons is greater than a Simpsons podcast all about the cultural impact of the Simpsons. As always, I'm your host Warren, better known to some of you as Bart of Darkness. You might know me from my Simpsons collection over on Instagram or Twitter. Be honest, it's great, isn't it? Go ahead and say it's great if you want to. But if not. When you're done with this episode, slide over to either one of those things, whichever one you prefer, and do me a solid, check them out, and let me know what you think. And because this is a part two of a special episode, I'm once again joined by my good friend, Brandon. Welcome back, Brandon. Hey, how's it going, man? It's going great. Uh, I mean, we're talking about The Simpsons. We're talking about one of my favorite episodes. So, you know, I can't speak for you, but it's going great over here, man. Yeah, it's pretty great. (laughs) so so we're gonna cover who shot mr burns part two today uh so obviously if you're jumping in here and you missed the first part slide back listen to that first or don't i mean i'm I'm just a podcast host i'm not a cop so do whatever you want if you want to just listen to this one and then listen to that one you know there's no rules uh do what you want uh but i think you would be better served checking out that one first Uh, And a little reminder right up top, I am doing a giveaway. Brandon, remember that awesome giveaway I talked about last week? I do. Socks. Yeah, socks. (laughs) Well, you no, actually, no. I'm not giving away socks, but you can buy socks. That's right. (laughs) And I get a cut of those socks. So hit the description, buy some socks. Your boy gets a little cut of that. But the giveaway, uh, if you submit your line what your line would be on the simpsons uh which started as a question i was asked on a recent q a submit what your line on the show would be and i will be picking a winner and giving away a kid robot blinky piece of sushi a very very cool toy so you know if you want a free toy just submit a funny joke and if if i think it's the funniest one i'm going to give you one so everyone should be doing that the details are in the description of this episode. Uh, Brandon, what are your thoughts on Who Shot Mr. Burns Part 2? Give me just a rough overview of how you felt. You know, I watching both of them, I've always kind of watched them back to back, and it seems like one continuous thing, but kind of looking at them separately the way we've been doing um, is really interesting. The second one, there is a lot of exposition. They're covering a lot of ground really fast. But there's some great jokes in there. I, I always forget one of my all-time favorite Simpsons jokes is in this episode. Like, if I were to make a top 10 list, it is in this episode. And it, like, <laughs> just thinking about it makes me laugh. I, I, we'll get to it, though. <laughs> Brandon, I completely agree. And I'm curious if it is going to end up being the same joke. I, I wrote down something <laughs> very, very similar. Uh, it is one of my favorite jokes in the entire show. So we will see as we get further along if we are talking about the same thing. 
Uh, and you know, I also am a huge fan of part two. I know some people prefer part one. I've never really known how I stand or where I stand on that. I think after this experience, I might like part two better. I'm not sure still, but that is the the direction I'm leaning. Maybe it's because I just did research on it. Uh, but also in the last episode, I said that this week we would have a special guest on the show. And Brandon, I'm not a liar. I hope you know that. I am not lying you aren't. about that special guest. So everyone enjoy a quick interview with one of the writers of this episode, someone that I know you all love, Mr. Steamed Hams himself, Bill Oakley. I figure, you know, 15, 20 minutes, whatever you got. We got like five questions, uh, yeah, just sure. like sort of background related sort of things. And then at the end, I'm going to let you plug that Patreon, which how's that going, by the way? It's going very well. Uh, it's going to take a few years before it replaces my need to write for TV, but those are the days. I can't wait for that to happen. Um, I'm so sick of having to deal with TV executives after 30 years of it. And like, it, it's just, man, I, going directly to the audience is so much better than having to go through nine layers of people who want to give you notes on stuff or just sort of like have opinions about stuff that are wrong, you know, <laughs> that anyway. So, uh, but it's anyway, off to a wonderful start. That is awesome. Well, you know, we'll just go ahead and, and, and kick it off. And what I want to say, uh, right up top, Bill, as usual, thanks for always taking the time to chat with me. I'll hit you up and be like, Bill, I need to know what your favorite Halloween candy is. I need to know a little yeah. something about who shot Mr. Burns. And, you know, I'll speak for every fan of the show. Thanks for always being willing to talk to people like me. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. <laughs> of course. So you've mentioned before that, that you and Josh didn't often have a ton of changes made to your scripts. So in terms of who shot Mr. Burns, did it go through many changes in the rewrite room? Did it, was there a lot changed? I don't want to seem like I'm bragging Warren, but yes, <laughs> our scripts generally did not get rewritten very much, especially during seasons five and six. You know, uh, the scripts, all Simpson scripts were rewritten to some degree. Sometimes it would be, um, just a few hours. Sometimes it would be two weeks of agony. That was generally when it was a freelancer because freelancers just like you just couldn't quite get the tone of the show. Um, but in general, our, the rewrites that were done of our scripts during uh, the time that we were writing all those scripts generally took a few hours, mostly. Maybe there was one that took a day or two. But so in most cases, um, the again, not to brag, I mean, just our scripts pretty much went on the air, you know. But, you, brag, you brag all you want, Bill. You, you deserve it. Go ahead. You've earned uh, it for sure. There were only, a, I would say there are only a handful of changes between our first draft and the actual final broadcast version of both one and two. Wow. That is, that is ridiculous. Also, by the way, I should say, this is a show that was extensively worked out in advance too. So it wasn't like when we delivered the script, there was a lot of surprises that David Merkin was like, this is, a, you ruined it. <laughs> like we had, we knew what every single plot point was going to be. We worked all that stuff out uh, before we even worked out the script. So it, when there were rewrites, it tended to be because the person had delivered what was not expected, where they right. had gone off in some weird direction and, and we had to get it back on course. Yeah, see, I find that so crazy because, you know, it's been said by everybody, but Who Shot Mr. Burns is like such an easy one to remember because there is nothing like it on the show. I mean, it's one of those episodes of TV that whether you watch it as a kid or not, when you finally see it, it's going to stick with you as being different. Like, you don't normally get a, an episode of The Simpsons that 
you know, has a level of sincerity that bleeds into a murder mystery that then bleeds into, you know, the, the next season. Like that stories just don't normally feel that big. So it's it's crazy for me to hear that it was like, no, nah, we just had it figured out. <laughs> it was it was just extensive plotting of it before. I mean, you can't write something like that without knowing where it's going to go. So it was a, a carefully plotted out before we even typed the first letter of it onto the computer. One of the things Warren and I were talking about was how this episode has so many threads. It's different than a normal episode that usually has like an A plot line and a B plot line. This one has like, there's just so you like did such a great job of building all of a reason for so many different characters to want to kill Mr. Burns. How did you guys manage all of those plot lines? It was crazy. I would say it's actually somewhat easier than writing one that's really truly moving, emotionally moving. Like writing an episode of The Simpsons that's actually emotionally moving is far harder than plotting out a murder mystery because it's by the numbers. We basically just had to set up what it was seven suspects that all had at least one thing in common that would be a red herring uh, for either the, their initials were the same or like, or, you know, Moses lack, that's where this lack came from or something like that. So it, it wasn't that hard to plot out. Um, and in fact, that's why part one is I like part one better than part two, part two, because in part two, there were so many things that had to be done just to tell the story that we ended up having to cut out a lot of like the, what I consider to be the extra kind of funny humor, humor as extras because we had to just get the story done. In one, there was more time for uh, leisurely asides. Mm, that, that makes a lot of sense. I've also read, and you can correct me if this is you know not true, because I know just like when I asked you about meeting the guy with the largest Barbie collection in the world, you told me that was just not true at all. Uh, so, uh-huh. uh, Wait, that's true. I don't know if I actually met him, but we definitely, I, I, I think I met him once. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. Bill, I literally interviewed you and you told me you never met him. So I love that. <laughs> Wait. I can't, it's so long ago. I don't know if I met him personally. <laughs> I know I was at a Barbie convention where he was. Whether I actually met, met him or not uh, is lost in the midst of time. You you were inspired by him uh, nonetheless. Yeah. But I have read that you and Josh originally thought that uh, Barney would be a great choice for the actual suspect. Is that true? Yes. Can you tell me why? Yes. We want to okay, so I just say, I, I want to make clear. This episode, this wasn't our idea either. This has been, there's been a lot of, um, I think I said this on the DVD, but it was contradicted by uh, Jim Brooks, who didn't know the actual story, <laughs> because Matt Groening came up with this idea. He literally walked into our office before, it was a few weeks before one of the story retreats, and was like, let's do some sort of stunt thing, like, you know, who shot Mr. Burns? He said it, like he said the phrase, because it was who shot JR. For anyone who's under 50, the biggest TV event of the one of the biggest TV events of the last half of the 20th century was an episode of Dallas. There was a mystery about who shot Jr. Jr. was the main character, a sinister guy, and there was a huge mystery. It was all of TV in like 1980 was all about this. It was the biggest thing since sliced bread. So Matt was referring to that. Obviously, was just like replacing Mr. Burns with Jr. And we were like, "Hey, that's a good idea." And so we we concocted this idea to take to the story conference based on what Matt had said. When we pitched it, it was Barney. And I'll tell you why, because we wanted to get rid of Barney. Like as they subsequently did, you know, Barney got sobered up. We felt that Barney had had run his course, that the drunk jokes were were wearing thin and that Barney was um that Barney needed to be retooled somehow. So we were like, this is the perfect idea. First of all, nobody would suspect Barney. He seems like he, he's not, the, you, he wouldn't be the first person you'd think of. Right. And also we could get rid of him. And we would say we could send him to jail. And three seasons later, he comes back. He's a different type of person. 
Um, that was the, that was our original idea. But Jim Brooks, who was there at the story conference, said very wise. This is why he's Jim Brooks, you know. This is why he is. He's got the heart, the family, all this stuff in his head, which is why the show is so good. Him and Sam, the late Sam Simon, it, they had all this stuff, you know, about the family. Show him family. He didn't want it to be someone who wasn't in the family. And so he was like, what if, I think there was a brief debate about, well, it could be Homer, it could be Lisa, whatever. But then I think he, he thought Maggie would be funny because you, that's the least expected Simpson. And we didn't like this. And so he said, oh, let's, let's make it Maggie. And we all left the story conference and Josh and I were like, what the hell, what the hell was he talking about? <laughs> and so we went back to the room and I recall, and Merkin, David Merkin was running the show at that time came up with a way we were, we were just like, it's stupid that it was an accident. We didn't want the baby. It would be an accident. We wanted it to be intentional. And we got in a, I wouldn't say that we got an argument, but we had a large heated debate about it. And then Merkin said, well, what if it wasn't an accident? What if she did it on purpose? And then we were like, Oh, that can be pretty good. <laughs> and so then, then we concocted a story that that was the, you know, so that was the, the those were the elements that came together to make that story come, come together the way it did. I really, you know, I would love to have seen a version where it was Barney. I do think that that's really funny. Uh, I've said before, and I think I say it in part one, that when I was a kid, I'm pretty sure I thought it was grandpa. And I think it's because I really fell for that shot of the, you know, the gun being dug back yeah. up and there, you know, the box flopping in the wind. And I think the cool thing about this story and the reason diving into it, you know, so many times is fun is because I think any of the people that it ended up being would have made sense and it would have still been, it would have been a satisfying ending if it was anyone, whether it's Barney, Maggie, grandpa, anyone, I think that makes it special. I mean, that was, everybody had, a, most of the people had a legitimate motivation, which was the reason that we concocted it that way. You know, it probably wasn't going to be Tito Puente. I think you could probably write him off <laughs> as, as a suspect that, that was not going to pan out, but otherwise it was constructed so that everybody had a legitimate motivation um, to some degree. I heard there is uh you guys wrote a bunch of fake endings for the episode. Um, and some of them were appeared kind of in clip shows later on and stuff. Was there a particular fake ending that really made you laugh? There, well, there's a number of different bits and pieces. Hmm. There's the, what you've seen, which I know that we showed on the 138th episode spectacular. Yeah. <laughs> it's also on the DVD are the end endings that were animated, which are the ones just different cells of a poo. I think Barney is in there other characters shooting Mr. Burns with different types of guns. And those are animated to throw people off the scent because a lot of people, the animation process, hundreds of people were involved. So they animated all of those bits, you know, I don't know, seven, six or seven, just short clips of different, different shooters to throw off the hundreds of animators that had to be involved. But there was only one actual script, which I think David Merkin just made up uh, as he was recording with Harry. It was only Harry Shearer, who did Mr. Smithers and Burns and David Merkin in this recording session, which they did in a, I think they didn't do it in the regular studio. They did it in like the editing bay. Um, and Merkin, I think just kind of improvised a script where Smithers, the one that you've seen, and you've seen that ending, that ending was fully animated where, where he goes, it was Leland Smithers and Smithers is like, uh, I'm going to give you a 5% pay cut or whatever. <laughs> I think they kind of, they, they kind of improvised it. But in any case, that was the only one that was fully animated from A to Z so that, to throw people off the track and also like this i think merkin talks about this in the commentaries people didn't really care like there wasn't a lot of people snooping around trying to find out the the the, the, the culprit like there was a lot of security on who shot jr because if people were you know national Enquirer wanted to publish it publish it and get a scoop or whatever but like 
I, I think Merkin tells this story on the DVD commentary. He actually was trying to stir up controversy. He called up like the National Enquirer and said he had a leak. He knew who it was. And, and, and they said, well, we don't want it. We don't want to spoil that. <laughs> and, and they declined. So it was like that. Yeah. I mean, people like there, I think there weren't a lot of people snooping around trying to find out what the secret to this mystery was. Yeah, only only little kids like me and Brandon were, were dying to know. <laughs> uh, tell me, Bill, who who came up with the idea to sort of do this special, this uh, Springfield's Most Wanted that aired right before the part two, uh, you know, this this John Walsh. Uh, uh, produced between the two seasons based on America's Most Wanted. Who came up with that idea? And were you involved with that at all? No. I would say, interestingly, my very first job out of college in uh, entertainment was working in America's Most Wanted with John Walsh. Um, And I worked there in 1989, back when it was a really big deal and the show was live and it was very exciting. Um, um, it It was a great job. And John was a very nice guy. But this had nothing to do with it. Fox promo department did all of that stuff. Had, like, I don't know that the show was even, I'm, I'm sure David Merkin was consulted briefly, but like, we didn't have anything to do with it whatsoever. <laughs> so funny. It seems like people, you know, I, I admittedly, uh, I'm sure I saw it as a kid. I have no real recollection of watching it. And I'm actually, uh, at the time of this recording, I've still not watched it. Brandon has. But it seems like people were sort of critical of it, like they thought it was like sort of, you know, making fun of detective work or something like it was sort of like, I don't know, it seemed like it had mixed reviews. So I was curious if you had any. Very strange. (laughs) I don't even recall that I watched it. I think that like, (laughs) I think that we were at the party, we were at the premiere party uh, for Who Shot Mr. Burns uh, part two, and everyone was milling around and drinking and talking. And that was just playing in the background. I don't think I've ever seen it actually. That's the only way to watch it, having a drink and talking with somebody else. It's really, it's really kind of ham-fisted. There's some weird stuff in there, though. Like Kevin Nealon shows up at one point. They interview him to ask him who he thinks it is and some really weird He was cameos. friends with David. He was very good friends with David Merkin, so maybe that's oh, what that the makes connection sense. was. Yeah. And it's also possible that David Merkin did this in conjunction with the promo department, and we don't know. I, I, I don't recall that I had, we knew, had any idea what was going to be on that show or that even that it was going to happen so funny. I'm going to, I'm going to steal this from Brandon's notes. It looks like the special was really pushing the narrative that it was Smithers, which I mean, I guess that's sort of a good idea to sort of mislead one more time before it airs, you know? Yeah. I don't know that they um, knew who it was. Um, or I mean, it's possible that again, that someone like David Merkin guided them in a certain direction. Um, Cause I don't, I mean, it was a secret who it was. They didn't, I, nobody told them. Crazy. Well, tell tell me this though, uh, and I, this is something that I have tagged Bill in uh, a million times. I've had him sort of back me up on this because, it, you know, I'm I'm prone to being irritated by the internet and the things that people share. Yeah. And one thing that we see shared all the time are these Vegas odds, and I think they might actually be from that special. Can you just explain once and for all how those are not exactly real, Bill? Okay, first of all. <laughs> You can't bet on things like that in the United States, period. They, they, that's in, in, in London, like in London uh, and, and, and some places in Asia, you can bet on things that like, you know, what's going to happen on a TV show or what the, or the Oscars or things like that. In America, you can't bet on, it's very regulated. So those, it was just a sign, like there was no, the odds were not official. It was just somebody wrote that and they put it up on their screen at Caesars or wherever the hell it was. Like it was never, nobody could ever bet on that because it would have been illegal. And furthermore, like there's, you can't bet on things where people have inside information. 
that's the whole point of gambling. And, and so we like conceivably, we could have made a fortune by going and betting on our own thing, but that's not, it, they weren't really offering odds that they, they weren't even, I don't even know if they were doing it in England. Um, if they were, I should have gotten on board, but this is before the <laughs> internet. So it wasn't like, it wasn't easy to bet overseas back then. Anyway, it, it was just a display. It was literally just a lighting display. They, they typed into the Caesars or wherever the hell it was, um, a sports book. Yeah. See, I'm going to I'm going to clip this out. And for all of the people online that want to argue with me in the comments, every time this is posted, when I tell them it's not real and they go, actually, it was real. And my uncle betted on it. You are lying. And uh, you you remember, you've got implanted memory syndrome or whatever. You don't remember. <laughs> it's, it's not possible. It Maybe it's possible that someone maybe had bet with their friends or even a local bookie was taking odds on it. But at, at, at no casino in Las Vegas was actually taking bets on this, I swear. Yeah, there's there's no way. I mean, there's a whole documentary about, uh, you know, the McDonald's Monopoly game and how easy it right. was to rig with insider information. So all it would take was one person from The Simpsons to tell their eighth cousin, uh, oh, it's actually this person uh, and somebody's a billionaire. You know what I mean? Like, it's just you just can't do it, everybody. It doesn't work. For what it's worth, we were uh, we were betting at school on this when I was I was in fifth grade it was on the playground it was lunch money <laughs> and none of us guessed it and then we didn't know what to do with everyone's money because nobody nobody <laughs> nobody, guessed, nobody saw it coming that's the, like, so that's good. the brilliant the simultaneous brilliance of this uh and was that nobody saw it coming and people I mean you know the reaction <laughs> I think that also people were a little bit shocked I remember being at the, at the party and you'll recall at the party, nine, there probably were 200 people there, only six or seven of which knew what the real solution was. And everybody's kind of like, huh, oh, the baby did it. Well, that, that's kind of interesting. And they went, immediately went back to their drinks. And that was the end. And Josh and I were like, we were like, you guys should be more excited about this. <laughs> I recall being, being angry that people weren't more excited about it and, and, and uh, being kind of burned up at that point. That's super. Well, one thing that I noticed, you know, sort of making notes about Part one is is there's a lot of things that make there's a lot of things that make that Maggie payoff even better. Like little things I didn't notice, like Marge putting Maggie in the car and then walking away, looking yeah. for the rest of the family. Like things that now, once you know, you're like, oh my God, it's right there. But you just would never think it's the baby. So I think ultimately the decision to make it Maggie was probably the smartest. Um I agree. Yeah, I, in retrospect, I definitely agree. It's far more entertaining than having some random townsperson do it. Well, Bill, you know, um, the last thing I want to ask before we get out of here um, is, you know, you and you and Bill always sort of have this, or you and Josh always had this knack for Chalmers and Skinner. And something Brandon and I talked a lot about in the episode and something that we made notes about was you see like, you know, everyone that loves steamed hams, you sort of see moments in this episode that are very... They're sort of foreshadowing yes. uh, steamed hams. Uh, awful school is awful rich. I love that thing. What's that say <laughs> under your hand? Uh, nothing. It's an unrelated article. <laughs> an unrelated article within the banner headline. Yes. And he was on. That's the, yes, that was it. I mean, we always love that. We didn't make it up. I should say, I believe it, the first one was in, it was in Whacking Day or whatever. It was that thing about what's that rattle? Does that boy say what's a battle? I think that was improvised. I mm. think. I, we weren't there at the time by Harry and Hank. And so we love that. And every time we got a chance to write it in, we put, we put that in the script. We love the dynamic between those two Chalmers. I love. So that's why I wrote the steam hams thing. But yes, there was any time you could get them in the same room. You had to do that because it always oh, so entertaining. And I love Skinner lying and Chalmers 
Chalmers always just questioning it once or twice and then dropping it. And that was the whole genesis of Steam Tams was like, what if for one time he didn't drop it? <laughs> he kept probing. And it's like the only time he ever did that. So <laughs> good. It's I mean, great. you know, in general, and this can be said for, you know, any Mr. Burns focused episode, because obviously Harry Shearer is also Smithers. But one thing that I also talked about with Brandon is like even the scene where he is eating the chocolates and chewing as Smithers yeah. and Burns. <laughs> I mean, it's really amazing how often he interacts with himself in different ways in this episode. The argument, the tenseness of that, you know, that moment where he finally fires Smithers. Uh, that is something that's really amazing when you break down that it's one person. He can really act, man. I tell you, his ten- he's very talented. And in many cases, you would see him like, he was famous. He didn't read the script before he came to the table readings. That was back when he even came to the table readings. He didn't wow. read the script and he would be famously, you'd see him arrive at the table and open the envelope that the script had been delivered in. Like other actors like Hank had there, had obviously read it and had things sold it over and had like highlighted and stuff and like lines. He'd done a lot of research, like a college, you know, notebook, whereas Harry just opened it up. But then he would do it perfectly. He would do it perfectly having never seen the material before just at the table. He's obviously a very talented genius yeah. and being able to do it with your acting with yourself is another whole nother level of that. It's just, it's just insane. Um, it's crazy. Well, Bill, every time I talk to you, I say that I could talk to you for like three hours and just probe your brain for information. But, uh, you know, we have so much more to talk about within this episode, so I won't keep you for too long. Uh, but before we go, you recently launched a Patreon, the steamed ham society, very on brand. And I just want to give you a moment to sort of talk about that. What inspired that and tell people where to find it. Okay. If you are familiar with any of the stuff I've done for the past four years, I basically, I still write a lot of TV shows and I just finished, we just finished close enough this uh, season three of that, which just came out. Fantastic show. Everybody watch it, please. Yes. HBO max close enough. Season three uh, just came out like uh, two weeks ago. Okay. So I also do, I have a food, I have a hobby. I'm a food, I'm a food professional. I'm a culinary <laughs> professional. I and this for about four years now. I've been doing this. I talk, I have an Instagram. Uh, I do it on Twitter also, but mainly on Instagram where I talk about food, generally fast food. I make funny videos about fast food, but again, not always fast food. Sometimes it's cooking stuff and I get, uh, and also snack food, all sorts of recipes, things, frozen food, frozen pizzas, all that kind of stuff. I'm very interested in food, especially I guess people would kind of call like comfort food, uh, or something like that. So I finally decided that I wanted to do more of this stuff and have us. And so I started this thing called the steamed ham society, which is a club. It's available worldwide for people all uh, to discuss, to discuss food, to exchange ideas about food to, um, and, and also there's a lot of other benefits too, that like, furthermore, if you like my videos, there's more videos. I make special videos just for the people in the steam ham society. There's also like a monthly newsletter of like various types of foods, the hundreds of different foods I've eaten that month. What's good, what's bad. And at the higher levels, you get things like you get the Steam Ham Society sticker or the T-shirt or the live stream where, which is much like this, we hang out and talk about food. And then at the highest level, assuming that you're a rich person, perhaps you'd like to have a custom made snack box made by me. There's only a few people enrolled. It's a limited number right now. But if you, if you really want to spend the big bucks every month or every quarter, rather, I'll send you a box filled with my, this, my favorite snack foods and items I found uh, previously. So it's a fun thing that the Discord... I wasn't even familiar with Discord a week ago. Now it's been my most, I spend most of my time on the Discord. It's incredibly exciting. There's so much food 
talk and, you know, stuff from all over the country, recipes, snack foods, uh, Korean almonds, you, what do you name it <laughs> on the discord? So if you have the slightest bit of interest in this, and also there's a ton, by the way, of course, there's a ton of Simpsons talk, Simpsons gifts and memes and whatever like that as well. So if you have the slightest bit of interest in any of those things, go to steamtamsociety.com right away. And, um, you, I think, I don't think you're going to regret it. Yeah. What, what kind of dumbass would you be if you realize how funny Bill's videos about food are, how much Bill has contributed to your own sense of humor? Why would you not want to go be in a chat room with Bill and get a box of stuff from him? Just go spend the big bucks. I'm just going to tell you, <laughs> go jump on those big buck, uh, <laughs> uh, membership levels. Now, if you don't, I know people don't, a lot of people do not have a lot of spare cash these days. So there's a five lot, there's a $5 a month level at which you get most of the fun stuff as well. The other premium stuff, if you, you're not going to be missing out, but it's fun. Also, the other thing that we're going to be launching just starting next week, and I think this is going to become big over time, special discounts and secret menu items mm. for Steam Tam Society members at places. We're starting with a place in Portland where I live, but I think over time, we're going to get places all over the country that have, you, you go there, you see the Steam Tam Society sticker in the window. You say, I'd like to spec, they have a special that they don't give anyone else. That's something they're very proud of only for memberships. So that, as I say in the videos that we cribbed from the, American Express ads of the 1980s. Membership has its privileges. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you can find all the information and how to get to Bill and Steam Ham Society in the description of this episode. And, you know, go watch the trailer that Bill posted because little did I know Bill can act. Uh, a nice little skit there for you. Thank you. Yeah, that's a good one. I like that. So that was my Halloween costume a couple years ago. I won't spoil it if you haven't seen it. To say that was my Halloween costume and I got the, I don't think that was my best voice performance uh but i think it was i think i got the mannerisms down <laughs> no absolutely it's fantastic it's well worth watching go to bill's instagram as soon as you are done actually go right now while you listen check out that video and uh bill once again man thank you so much for writing this episode with josh thanks for all that you do you become this ambassador to this thing that we love so much and i just want to thank you as always bill so thanks for joining us today my pleasure thanks for those kind words all right now back to the actual episode. So Brandon, what was it like for you? Um, you know, I've had the pleasure of talking to Bill several times about his time on the show. Uh, as as someone who is, is meeting Bill and, and picking his brain for the first time, what was it like for you to sort of get it straight from the source like that? Oh man, it was great. First of all, Bill is just the nicest guy, like really personable, just seems like a really excellent human all the way around. And that's always, um, they say don't meet your heroes, but it's always nice when you, when you meet somebody and they turn out to be a really excellent person. So that, that was like icing on the cake, but then to be able to, I think you use this phrase, but to be able to like poke at his brain and see what comes out, it was really, really great. Cause he's, uh, he's still, I mean, he's just like so witty and so funny. And, uh, he, he also just has all of these great little like memories from making the show and stuff. Just, uh, it was really, really it was special to talk to him. It was great. Yeah. Every time I talk to Bill, I feel like I learned something else that I didn't already know about him or the show. Uh, and I think that little, you know, those, those 20 minutes or however long, I can't remember how long it was, um, with, with Bill was no different. I feel like we got some really good information, some stuff about this episode that I'm, some of it I had heard, some of it I hadn't. And I feel like it's just, you know, it's always great to get that from him. And as I say to him there, you know, Bill is just the perfect ambassador. He's what you want someone to be that you yeah. admire. Um, Absolutely. so, you know, Bill checks all those boxes, Bill rules. 
And the um, Steam Hand Society seems pretty legit. It does yeah. seem pretty <laughs> legit. I think everyone should be joining that. I'm just saying. I mean, Absolutely. if you want to be left out in the cold, that's up to you. But I think you should all be should all be joining that. So we sort of talked with this about Bill a little bit, Brandon, but you made some really great notes about this. So I want to sort of hand this over to you. And that is Springfield's Most Wanted. To anyone that hasn't seen that, sort of walk us through it. <laughs> yeah, it seems like a lot of people haven't seen it and not because it's not <laughs> available. It's on the DVDs, um, but it's kind of notoriously known as not being great. <laughs> Bill even said in our interview with him that uh, they played it before the premiere and he he doesn't remember watching it. He spent the whole time talking to somebody else. It could be called it says Springfield's Most Wanted, Springfield's Least Watched, maybe. Um, it's a, for those that don't know, it is a full 20-minute episode. It's a kind of a spoof of America's Most Wanted with Joe Walsh, and it's called Springfield's Most Wanted. It aired right before the premiere of part two of Who Shot Mr. Burns. So you have to like... Picture this, you've you've seen Who Shot Mr. Burns Part 1, you've waited eight months to find out who, you've got your TV going, you got your VCR, getting ready to record, you showed up early, you're sitting there, you turn the TV on, and this is what's airing. And it's, 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 I watched the whole thing, it's, it's interesting. <laughs> a lot of it, a lot of it ends up being um, kind of a clip show, a recap of the first episode. Um and then they they also interview a lot of celebrities on like backlots and stuff. And then they also have uh, sort of crime professionals weighing in on who they think shot Mr. Burns. They treat it as if Mr. Burns actually was shot and they're looking for the, <laughs> the killer. <laughs> and it opens with Joe Walsh in a helicopter flying over Miami. And he says that they have tracked down the location of the killer. And by the end of the episode, they're going to get to it. And then they just never get back to that. They just start with him in a helicopter, and then they never, they immediately forget that they were going to do that. I mean, I mean, what a weird thing. I mean, look, I respect the the idea. I think it's like a funny idea. It's like, oh, you know, let's play up this whole murder mystery solving crime angle that we're, you know, using this episode to do. But it does seem, and you know, full disclosure, I sort of think, I think I said this to Bill, I think I watched it as a kid. I have no real memory of it. And yeah. uh, I did not watch it before this, but I did notice right before recording, so I will let everyone know, you can watch this on YouTube. Someone oh, uploaded the whole thing. Um, so I really have no good excuse other than that. I didn't notice until it was too late. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and I have the DVDs, which I could have watched it on there, but. Everyone, if you're interested in this, go watch it. I mean, didn't you say that they interview like Kevin Nealon? There are a couple of, I mean, I think it's worth watching. There are a couple of interesting things. I kind of bad mouthing it a little bit, but there are actually like, <laughs> you know, it, it, it's yeah, kind Brandon, of, why are you being so negative about this, you know, this special, just, you know, that's my style. I just <laughs> super negative. Um, there are, it, it's worthwhile. Uh, there's a couple of really great like clip montages. They dig deep. I mean, they they pull clips not just from Who Shot Mr. Burns, but from the whole thing. You know, they're mm. trying to like be like, why? There's there's a I noted a couple of really funny lines in there. One of them is um, a one of the crime professionals, the psychologist, says maybe the question shouldn't be why would somebody shoot Mr. Burns, but who wouldn't? And then they play a clip show of all of the things he's ever done evil mm. over the the course of the whole show, which is pretty good. Another funny one is just, uh, I'm a psychologist, not a police officer, <laughs> <laughs> which is really, really great. That is there are, pretty good. 
There are two really big things in here, though, um, which kind of ties back to a couple of mysteries that we were talking about last episode. One is the Vegas odds, which we talked to Bill Oakley about. You know, this this rumor that there were Vegas odds, people were betting in Vegas on who shot Mr. Burns and all of that, which Bill kind of said flat out was not true. Not true. Not I want to stress true. that again. Come on, everybody, not stop true. posting that that screenshot. Yes. Well, that <laughs> screenshot comes from this episode. See, I knew it. About midway through the episode, they cut to a guy in a casino with a big board behind him, and he's talking about the odds in Vegas. And it says that his name is Jimmy Vaccaro, and it says that he's a Las Vegas bookmaker. And that is where it comes from. Um, but I did a little digging, and it turns out that Jimmy Vaccaro is not an actor. He actually is a Las Vegas bookmaker. Wow. It, uh, he sounds like he's from The Sopranos. He says things <laughs> like wise guys and stuff like that. It does and sound like a fake name. It does. Yeah. And he was inducted into the um, Las Vegas, or not the Las Vegas, he was inducted into the Sports Betting Hall of Fame, which I didn't know was even a thing. Had no idea that existed, but I'm yep. I'm intrigued by it as someone who likes to gamble. So there yeah, you go. he was <laughs> you and Marge. <laughs> I wonder if Marge is in the Las Vegas. Uh, <laughs> they need to, get, you know, they put Homer in the Baseball Hall of Fame, like honorary. They <laughs> yeah. need to do the same for Marge. Okay, they let's really get her in the. We let's start a campaign. Game. Yeah, that's right. I'm doing it. <laughs> yep, but um, so that's 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 one of the interesting things. The other interesting thing is that there was this um, this urban legend that Krusty the Clown. Or Homer dressed as Krusty the Clown is actually the killer of Mr. Burns. And uh, some of that came from at the end of the episode of the last episode, Krusty shows up and he's his nose is drawn a little different. And people, you know, thought that maybe it was um, Homer in costume and it right. was all kind of a ruse. But uh, the idea, at least as far as I can tell, the first documented occurrence of this idea is this episode of Springfield's Most Wanted. About uh, well, almost to the end, uh, Walsh himself says, have you ever noticed that Homer looks a lot like Krusty in makeup? Maybe they were working as a team. <laughs> and that is where the uh, the the urban myth that it, Krusty is Homer was uh, yeah. the killer comes from. And I mean, we know, you know, as, as well, some, some people might not know, but a lot of people know that one of the early ideas on The Simpsons was that Homer was secretly going to be Krusty. And the joke was like, oh, Bart looks up to Krusty but hates his dad. It's sort of this weird play on, you know, he actually loves his dad or respects his dad but doesn't realize that he is his hero because he's also his favorite, you know, TV clown or whatever. And and they sort of play up that in the Homie the Clown episode. Uh, so I understand why when you take this line – about like, oh, have you ever noticed they look similar and you take people's prior knowledge that Homer has been drawn like Krusty before? Uh, I get why this thing gets legs, right? Like I understand why people sort of talk about it. But again, you know, while we're debunking stuff, we said this in part one, it's not true. Uh, the writer said it's not true. It's a cool story. Uh, it's a cool idea. Um and, and I think it, it's even cooler when we talk about, you know, some of the stuff later on in this episode that that really points to Homer as a real, you know, you, you really yeah. want to believe it's him at times. So <laughs> we'll get into all that. And uh, I, I think that's cool, though. And that's really good information, Brandon, because I'm sure there's a lot of people that remember this special. There's clearly a lot of people that don't. 
Uh, I had sort of forgotten about it myself. So uh, definitely seems like it's worth a watch. I'm going to watch when we're done with this. Yeah, definitely check it out. It's cool. It's on YouTube also. There you go. Everybody go watch it on YouTube. All right. So getting into the actual episode. um, And I, you know, I want to say also up top that we have had a lot of fun doing these and I like doing these sort of deep dives. I like sort of hopping around, not just going chronologically through every episode. And, you know, I, I think the plan as of now is Brandon and I are going to do at least one of these a month. Um, I'm going to keep doing interviews. I'm going to keep doing, you know, what you're all used to, but I want to switch it up. I want to try more things like this. And if you really enjoy these, uh, you know, don't just show me with the downloads, drop me a review, send me a message. Let me know how you feel. I have a lot of fun doing these. It's a totally different experience than just interviewing someone. So, uh, you know, I'm, I'm obviously getting used to it, but it's also really fun. So let me know if you're yeah, enjoying these. Uh, I will pass that on to Brandon because Brandon does not have Instagram. Do not try to stalk him. Uh, but just let us know how you feel about these episodes. Uh, and there's going to be more coming. So absolutely getting into the actual episode though, written by Bill and Josh also, just like part one, uh, as we talked to Bill about in our interview, but this one, unlike the first one was directed by Wes Archer and you know, everybody should know who Wes is. He's one of the first animators hired on the show. Uh, he did Bart, the daredevil three men in a comic book, itchy and scratchy land that we also talked about Rosebud, Bart sells his soul Two bad neighbors and so many others. I mean, Wes it, to say that he is so important, uh, his contributions to the show are so valuable. Uh, and so I always like to highlight that when he comes up and I love that he is involved in such a special episode, like several others, but especially one like this, uh, that is so different. I'm glad he got to do at least one part of it for this special. Yeah, absolutely. That dude's a legend. Just, I mean, go look at the list of episodes he's directed and every one of them is just classic. He's so good. And such a sweet guy. If you haven't, if you're new to this podcast, I interviewed him way back in episode 10 when I only sort of knew what I was doing. So go Listen to that episode. Wes is cool. There's some really good information in that interview that I had never heard also. Uh, But Brandon, tell me this, and you don't have to be specific, but as someone with a background in animation, and I know we talked a bit about this in part one, I'm sure there were some shots in this one that just really sort of stood out. I'm sure you noticed the direction or the type of things that Wes was doing with this episode. Yeah, absolutely. Um, There's uh direction wise it's there's some great animation slow mo shot later on when the gun falls to the bottom slow motion's really hard in hand drawn animation cuz you're just adding more frames and it's got to be smooth the lines got to move and all that it's really really great but i another thing i noticed in this episode wasn't necessarily um i mean the animation is great but i really noticed a lot of uh the composition and stuff in this opening scene when uh when smithers wakes up in his apartment and it's a wreck um, it, it, you could, it's, you could pause it and it's almost like one of those, um, little games you would play as a kid where it's like, try to find all the stuff, you know, yeah. cause there was, it, it, his apartment is a truly wreck and there was so <laughs> much, you could just pause it and look at it for 20 minutes and find something new. I made a small list of some of the things <laughs> oh, <laughs> like great. there was a, one of them was, um, a, a baseball bat. 
it looks like he, Smithers got drunk and then just like went hog wild with a baseball bat on his own apartment. But there's also like a small tray, uh, a cookie sheet with cookies on it on the floor. So he he stopped into a break, ate some cookies, you know, and then like did some potting. Like there's a pot on the side and all that. And then there's a rake. So he was doing some yard work in the house. It was it's there's just a lot of interesting small little details everywhere. I feel like the last episode was all um looking for clues, but this right. episode they just are just filling the world with nice little details and stuff, which is really, really great. I agree with that, but I I mean my 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 living room looks exactly like his apartment. Is that weird? <laughs> I've seen I've seen your living room. It does look exactly <laughs> that way. <laughs> oh, if only that were true. Okay, yeah. so the episode starts, and those are all great things to note. That opening scene is really fun to look at. Um, so Smithers wakes up the next morning hungover. Mr. Burns is alive, but it's 1965 and they are undercover detectives working the hot rod circuit. He wakes up again to realize that Mr. Burns is still dead and his apartment is still trashed. Um, I think this is a great way to just sort of pick up where the last episode left off. It sort of moves a little bit forward in time. It reminds you exactly where you are in the story. It's a great way to start. Yeah, absolutely. I also love uh, uh, Smithers uh, burping up cigarettes. <laughs> what a great visual gag that is. <laughs> there, there are multiple things in this episode uh, that I do not want to think about being in my mouth or throat. And uh, this is definitely one of them. I think the thought of just having, you know, cigarettes in my mouth uh, is cigarette gross. Cigarette butts. <laughs> yeah, cigarette butts. I mean, like, how do you have that many um, I love the shot of the scotch, you know, the vagrant's choice fortified oh, scotch. Yeah. That's I a like, nice freeze frame. That's good. Yeah, I think that's really solid. I like the design of the bottle. Um, but yeah, I mean, cigarette butts in your mouth and, th- and he clearly was smoking multiple packs if he's coughing up oh, like man. 20 cigarette butts. Um, that he does is it twice one, too. <laughs> twice. And that is something that I really, um, so people that listen to this podcast have heard me talk about coffee a lot. I really like coffee. You could call me a coffee snob in a way. I'm like, I'm really particular, uh, pretty judgmental of of a coffee shop if they don't offer certain things. I'm, I'm a dickhead, everybody, which is why you should buy me a coffee at the link in the description. <laughs> but the one thing that I always say, like, I'm not a big fan of cold brew. And I know that's a really mm. popular type of coffee. But to me, cold brew just sort of tastes like cigarettes. It sort of tastes like smoky ash. You're, having, you're drinking bad cold brew, man. Well, to me... Bad cold brew is undrinkable. Good cold brew is just <laughs> oh, okay. You know what I mean? Bad cold brew is undrinkable. Good is still fine. But it all sort you of like has that. You like coconut and chocolate and you don't like cold brew. You are a monster. Cold brew just doesn't really have much of a flavor outside of just smokiness. Like it's something about mm. how long it takes to make. I don't know. I'm, I'm particular. And I, I will obviously drink cold brew. I'm not above it. But bad cold brew especially tastes like cigarettes and I, I cannot shake that thought. So that's all I taste. And so I can't really do it. So that's all I imagine when I see Smithers coughing up these cigarette butts, <laughs> cold brew. Uh, as I just imagine bad cold brew. Um, so there you go. Oh, we should note really quick that, um, it, it opens and, you know, uh, Mr. Burns is still alive. He's showering in the thing. And he says, you know, they're they're detectives. It's 1965. And all of this is a reference to Dallas again, but another season of Dallas. Um, They had an entire season of Dallas and the producers didn't like it. And they hired new writers and the new writers decided to just remove the previous season from canon of the show 
by saying, opening, opening the beginning of the first season by saying, last season was all a dream. None of it happened. <laughs> what an insult to everybody. <laughs> yeah, I mean, a pretty clever way to sort of erase uh, a bad story. But I think at a certain point, if you've made a whole season of television, you just got to accept it. You just got to go with it. They, you just they decanonized go it. <laughs> yeah, that is that is wild. I did see that in the notes. I almost forgot to mention it. That is, you know, again, we talked about in the first episode, we have neither one of us have seen Dallas. No, I don't uh, So, I, you know, I, I guess I should watch Dallas uh, for my own research beyond these episodes out of curiosity. And I, I kind of want to now. So maybe we will. Yeah, I feel like watching an episode of it might be good. <laughs> yeah, just just a little taste. So after that, Kent Brockman catches everyone up and we get a hospital joke. One of my favorite of the entire episode, not the one I was talking about earlier, but one of my favorite jokes. Uh, and he speaks with Chief Wiggum about the case. And we actually see that the first person questioned is Maggie. Dozens of people are gunned down each day in Springfield, but until now, none of them was important. I'm Kent Brockman. At 3 p.m. Friday, local autocrat C. Montgomery Burns was shot following a tense confrontation at Town Hall. Burns was rushed to a nearby hospital where he was pronounced dead. He was then transferred to a better hospital where doctors upgraded his condition to alive. Now let's talk to Police Chief Wiggum. Oh, oh hi, Kent. <clears throat> uh, right now we are questioning two witnesses who were in the vicinity at the time. Did you see this guy? Was he anywhere near the parking lot when Burns got shot? No, it's no use. He ain't talking. Yeah, and so this whole Maggie thing is a detail that never really stood out to me until now. I guess I just didn't think about it. Uh, but I guess that is sort of a clue in its own way. Yeah, absolutely. I also love that it's Maggie and Santa's little helper. There's like a long-running Simpsons, like, kind of really subtle joke that Maggie isn't like a child. She's more in the same class as the pets. Yeah. You know, later in this episode, she's laying on the floor sleeping with the cat. And there's... um. The Triassa Horror, where Homer's like, everyone's dead, it's Omega Man. And Homer's recalling everybody, like, little Lisa, and she bats with the bat. <laughs> and then he's like, little Marge, little Bart. And then he says, and the rest of the stuff. And it's like Maggie, the dog, the cat, and I think, like, the TV remote. <laughs> I think so. <laughs> She's definitely like a third class citizen in this house. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, so this is, I think, this whole story, I mean, obviously, you know, we have episodes like Rosebud that really sort of show how intelligent Maggie is. But yeah. I don't think anything ever really prepared anyone for a story where she shoots someone, um, which I think like we talked with Bill about is kind of why it's brilliant is sort of yep. why, you know, David Merkin making that decision ended up being for the best. And the way that they got to that is also the best. I mean, spoiler, if anyone's listening to this that doesn't know, it was, it's Maggie by it's now. It's Maggie. It's Maggie. Just, don't turn the podcast off, though. We got more to say. <laughs> we got more to say. Uh, but I do think that it turned out to be the best decision. And it does give her a quality that I think lends itself to her character for the rest of the show to current. Yeah, um, it just makes makes her makes something, something special about Maggie. Okay, we see that after after this. So then we get a great scene of the family reminding everyone how many suspects there could be. Everyone in Springfield had a reason to shoot Mr. Burns. Even us. Mm. Bart, he broke your dog's legs. Grandpa, he destroyed your home. And Dad, well, you kind of went berserk when he couldn't remember your name. Berserk is right! May I have some iced tea, please? Aren't we forgetting someone? Sister suspect. 
<laughs> yeah, it's just getting to me. <laughs> because of Mr. Burns, they canceled my jazz program, and my friend Tito Puente got fired. But I could never shoot someone. Could so, could not, could so, could not, could so, could not, could so, could, could not. Kids, as far as Daddy's concerned, you're both potential murderers. The police already have a suspect. It's Mr. Smithers. Sure! Oh, oh yeah, he's, he's a good suspect! Oh, yeah, I bet he's the one! Yes! Mingers did it! Case closed! Now where's my hat? I'm going to the outhouse! We don't have an outhouse. <gasps> my tool shed! Oh, Dad! So this scene to me, Brennan, and I don't know if you agree, but it really turns up the heat on Homer and Grandpa. I feel like they both seem hyper guilty in this scene. Uh, Homer maybe a little more so. Uh, I, I think it definitely does some, it lays some early groundwork to the idea that it could be Homer for sure. Yeah, absolutely. This The way this episode's constructed is really great because they have their primary, what they expect the audience to think the primary suspect is, which is Smithers, but they're already lining up secondary suspects because, you know, for long, it's not going to be Smithers anymore. And then the investigation must continue. And they've got this nice little lineup happening of sort of the 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 top hitters of who they think that you think it might be. It's great. And I also, you know, I talked about how I sort of remember thinking it was grandpa as a kid. That's just sort of yeah. what I remember. I could, you know, it could be an implanted memory. I don't know. Um, but as I watch this episode, I do think there's a really cool story in the idea that it was grandpa. They would have had to have given him a little more background, like a little more reason uh, to yeah. hate him. Cause this is like before flying hellfish and, and things like that. But I, I do think that there's a really cool story, uh, in grandpa killing him and grandpa seems very eager to blame anyone else. So he does yep. look super guilty of this scene. And I like that. Absolutely. So regardless of how guilty the last scene makes Homer seem, we then get a series of Smithers moments that almost seemingly pin him as the actual shooter. I mean, they're, they're sort of like, Oh no, here's the answer. It's Smithers. Uh, before he accidentally confesses to chief Wiggum inside a confession booth and is arrested. We also see members of the town tear down the sundial, and uh, Homer apparently has rickets also. <laughs> that rickets joke uh, taught me what rickets is. I was like, I remember being a kid and being like, what is rickets? <laughs> yeah, sort of an antiquated uh, disease, even yeah. by the by 1995 standards. That's right. Drink your orange juice, kids. Yeah, it, 100%. You should. <laughs> uh, which is also part of a joke I will mention later. So making it seem like Smithers and the reason I didn't make too again, just like episode one, I could clip out every scene because there's so yep. much funny stuff here, but I didn't want to do that. Uh, but this scene, you start to really feel kind of bad for Smithers. There's like a, you know, he loves Mr. Burns, but he, he wanted to do the right thing. And it's like sort of this, it's sort of tragic in a way. And I think that that version of the story could go any number of directions if they had stuck with that. I also want to, there's a nice uh, visual joke at the church. He goes to a cathedral to confess and it, the cathedral's called Cathedral of the Downtown, which is just <laughs> funny to me. And then um, the little, the little sign below it says, Archbishop carries less than $20. And so he went to a cathedral in a, in the seedy side of town, you know, it's. Yeah. Don't try to rob him. He doesn't have afraid. that much money on him. Just leave him alone. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. So, you know, it's, it's hard to gloss over, but we also see Dr. Colossus here. And mm. I got to say, you know, I want, I would love to see more of whatever weird life Dr. Colossus has. I mean, I'm trying to see more yeah. of this side of Springfield. <laughs> 
absolutely i love he he comes back later in the episode too and both scenes uh they're so great and he's so iconic that i thought that like like this is a, a direct reference to something else you know and I, I googled him and it's just they made him for this he he has such a, a classic comic book villain vibe and uh, i did find out that there is a uh australian metal band called dr colossus that is simpsons themed um if you're into metal, check it out. I, I did see that. I did see that. I've never listened to them. Uh, I'm not big on like themed bands, but I, you yeah. know, I, I got to admit, I'm a little curious. There's actually, there's actually more than just one. I'm sure there's a, a handful of Simpsons themed metal bands. I've seen a couple. Um, there's one called Oakley Doakley. Oh, that's uh, that is, uh, they all dress like Ned Flanders. Um, oh I actually reached out to them to be on the show and they didn't respond uh, I guess they're busy making NFTs, which is not something I will ever uh, support on this podcast. So if you're a big NFT person, I'm sorry. I'm not interested. Uh, not but interested I, I tried to have them on the show. They didn't respond to my message. So Maybe it got buried. Maybe they get so much fan mail. Yeah, maybe they're selling too many fucking NFTs. Who knows? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, but that, so that is, that is worth noting. Dr. Colossus, a band from Australia. Australians love the Simpsons. That is something yeah. I can, I can attest to some of the best merch you can buy from Australia. Um, but also I will say Dr. Colossus to me, he really, you know, especially for the time feels like he'd be from like a radioactive man comic or something. He yeah. really feels like he's from that world. And, you know, I think the joke, the death mountain joke, it's like, oh, but all my stuff is there. That's all really funny. <laughs> it's so um, great. Gotta love that. Super good. Anything else to note about this scene, Brandon? Uh, I don't think so. Yeah, that's, um, that pretty much covers it all. I, um, yeah, that's it. So after Smithers talks to the cops about why he seemingly did it, we see a flashback of part one. He gets surrounded by reporters. Another joke that I, I just had to clip out. These are the moments that I have to get. Uh, and he makes a joke that tips off Sideshow Mel to his innocence. Dave Shutton, Springfield Daily Shopper. Who are you? Where are you going? No, do your research, Shutton. Uh, Kent Brockman, Channel 6 News. How does it feel to be accused of the attempted murder of your boss and mentor? Can't I? I feel about as low as Madonna when she found out she missed Tailhook. Oh, I'm going to say, ouch, for Madonna. Hey, that's my Madonna gag. That guy stole my gag. And you stole it from last Friday's episode of Pardon My Zinger. Stole, made up, what's the difference? <laughs> Mr. Smithers must have seen that program too. He never misses it. Hmm. At the town meeting, he mentioned that he watched Comedy Central. I made sure to note that, as it seemed quite unusual. Ye gods! To the police station, Krusty! I am Melvin Van Horn, and this is my associate, Herschel Krustovsky. Hey, hey! Officers, you have arrested an innocent man! Really? Oh, jeez. All right, Colossus, you're free to go, but stay away from Death Mountain. But all my stuff is there! <clears throat> I was referring to Waylon Smithers. Mr. Burns was shot Friday at 3 p.m., the very time that Smithers was at home watching Pardon My Zinger. So you see, he couldn't have done it. <gasps> yes, you're right. I remember now. I, I watched that entire show. In fact, I left the town meeting early so I could get home in time. <laughs> I gotta run or I'll miss the opening rank out. I will get out of my break. Slow down. The sidewalk's for regular walking, not for fancy walking. Out of my way. I'm in a hurry. You simmer down, I'll let you go. 
so. Instead of wounding an evil old man, I may have killed an innocent old man. <sighs> That's much worse. About 50,000 volts worse, if you know what I mean. Eh, bleh, sizzle. I, I really liked that uh, Sideshow Mel is sort of, you know, cracking the case or he's he's taking a crack at it him uh smoking a pipe with his voice just is so i it was i don't know if he's ever smoked a pipe before in the show um it's a very sherlock-esque pipe but it fits so so perfectly yeah we just don't get enough of mel i really i really think we we need more melvin for sure sideshow bob is great but sideshow mel is really really excellent too yeah i think there's there's always room for more you know and we've gotten some over the years but sideshow mel you know, it's it's kind of like that joke at the town hall. It's like, I'd like to hear from Sideshow Mel. I love <laughs> the way Dan talks as him and just the jokes that it leads to. So I think there's really something special um, about his read there. So we're, we're t- we talked a lot in the first episode about things that were real and weren't real. We learned that the Sour Quince Log doesn't exist, but we learned that a Dunderpate is a real thing. So there are, you know, a nice mix of real and fake things that could go either way. Um, For anyone that didn't know, Pardon My Zinger is not a real show. I did look it up just to make sure that I wasn't misremembering. But the Zinger, Smithers Repeats, is based on a very real thing. And I would say that Zinger is an understatement. The joke he makes to the reporters uh, is actually way darker than I feel like most people realize. And I'm not sure if this jumped out at you, Brennan. No, it didn't. Okay. So I, I dug into this a little bit. And maybe this is something I should have been more familiar with, but I don't think I don't think so I doubt most of you are but I'm going to this is this section is going to take me a minute because I think there are so many layers to this joke and why it actually is funny even though it shouldn't be funny so Smithers says you know I feel about as low as Madonna when she realized she missed tail hook uh, I'm going to say ouch for Madonna tail hook is a scandal uh, a military scandal I'll, I'll read I took this directly from the Wikipedia so I'll just read it The tailhook scandal was a military scandal and controversy in which United States Navy and U.S. Marine Corps aviation officers were alleged to have sexually assaulted up to 83 women and seven men or otherwise engaged in improper and indecent conduct at the Las Vegas Hilton in Las Vegas, Nevada. So essentially, we're talking about a military scandal, clearly some sort of party where some things that were not consensual went down. So the joke here is... You know, unfortunately, oh, Madonna is sad that she didn't get to have sex with all these military guys at a party in Las Vegas. Now, that's a deep cut. (laughs) It's a deep cut. Now, before anyone gets bummed out about this joke, okay, uh, this is a very tasteless joke. Obviously, by any standard, you shouldn't joke about sexual assault. You shouldn't talk about these sort of things lightheartedly. Uh, Like, oh, you know, isn't it funny that Madonna could have been assaulted? Like, no one's laughing at that. Clearly, the the idea of this fake Pardon My Zinger show is that it's like dumb little jokes, like little gotcha jokes, like, oh, ha ha. And even the way everyone reacts to his joke is like, oh, ouch. <laughs> everyone yeah. sort of just, you know, laughs it off. I think the humor is that they took a very dark, tasteless joke and blanketed it in a Zinger format. And I think that is why it's funny. It's not a zinger at all. It's actually something that no one should think is funny. So I think the humor comes from the fact that you're watching this show full of bad jokes, but the jokes are actually very, very dark. 
So that is why, and this is just my opinion, I think it is okay to find that joke funny. And it doesn't mean that you're laughing at the actual joke. You're laughing at how absurd it is that a joke that dark would just be thrown around like that on a little Comedy Central show. Unpardon my zinger. Yeah, unpardon my zinger. So Brandon, what do you think about my sort of roundabout way of understanding that joke? It makes sense. You know, it reminds me, uh, as you were saying it, I thought back to our Itchy and Scratchy episode and how Itchy and Scratchy being a show within a show was sort of a way like they, it was a, it was it's hyper violent. And, you know, I'm not a I'm not a violent person or a person that, you know, condones any kind of violence at all. And uh, but I love Itchy and Scratchy. And it's because of it's the, the show inside of a show. It's the absurdity of the violence that these kids are watching it. And it's almost the joke is that the kids are watching it and that it's funny and it's almost, it's meta in a way, you know, it's a, it's a meta joke. And, um, I, I could see that for this as well. Uh, so I had no idea when they said tail hook, you know, it's, it's one of those things where your brain hears Madonna and you just kind of fill in the joke in your own mind without knowing the reference. When you messaged me about it, I was I was shocked. I started. I read I read that Wikipedia, and I was like, "Good lord!" Yeah. Um. But I found out. I don't know if this came up in your research. Uh, Tellhook is mentioned another time in The Simpsons. No, I didn't notice that. So it's in it's in a, a later season. Um, I forget the name of the episode, but it's the one where Homer joins the Navy and becomes uh takes over the submarine and all oh, of that. Yeah. And at the end of the episode I'm blanking on the name as well, but yeah. At, at the at the end of the episode, their repper, you know, he finally gets caught, they're reprimanding Homer and um it's all the high ups in the navy and one of the guys says, you know, this is the 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 biggest black guy in the history of the navy. If I wasn't um currently wrapped up in the tailhook scandal i would throw the book at you and oh he leaves God. the room and then the the other is a whole panel of navy guys and it cuts between all of them and the next one's like oh i'm also wrapped up in the tailhook scandal i have to go and then the next one is like i'm wrapped up in the tailhook scandal and also i impersonated the first lady and everyone leaves and nobody can throw the book at him so he you, gets you know what's it. funny <laughs> about that is i i remember this now that you're explaining it i think because i didn't know what the scandal was it just yeah, never yeah. jumped out at me until now now, Absolutely. The only reason I looked this up is because part of my zinger wasn't a real show. Obviously, I knew there had to be something within that joke that was real. And I, you know, I'm not making excuses for anybody, but I know that most of the people working on the show, uh, they they weren't the kind of people that would make such a vicious joke unless it was to point out how absurd it would be to say something like that. That's Absolutely. sort of like. All the stuff that Homer does, all the stuff that Homer does is terrible. You're not supposed to imitate Homer. You're supposed to realize he's a dumbass. And I think this joke is the same way. It's like, that's not something anyone should just laugh at. You know, Kent sort of looks at the camera and goes, oh, I'm sorry. Ouch for Madonna. It's the juxtaposition of a really tasteless joke to just like supposed to be some little quip. Yeah. I also think there, I mean, like this might be going out on a limb, but I think that there is some, um, some some worth in that joke because that was a scandal that happened in 1991 yeah and you know it could have very easily just been forgotten and replaced by the next scandal the next scandal but here we are 2022 and we're talking about it because they they brought it back into the zeitgeist you know and it's reality is pretty crazy and these are the things that happen and we can 
you forget things pretty easily, you know, which is pretty, pretty interesting. Um, yeah, no, I, I totally agree with that. So I wanted to at least talk about that. I'm sure some of you could have, would have been fine not realizing that that's what it meant. Some of you might've gotten the joke already, but I just found that worth sort of uh, breaking down a little bit uh, to talk about. Absolutely. I'm glad you did. So in that last clip, we learned that Smithers did not shoot Mr. Burns, but accidentally shot Jasper in his real spruce wooden leg. And this completely <laughs> clears Smithers and opens the case back up, which really inspires Lisa to get involved. Okay, boys, we've got a clue. The bullet they took out of Burns. Now, let's discuss the, um, motive. Mr. Burns is the richest man in town. Maybe it's about money. That's some good thinking, Lou. Oh, thanks, Chief. Hey, I said that. My name is Lisa Simpson, and I made a chart of all the suspects in the Burns case. Look. Mr. Burns hurt all these people financially. Nightclub owner Moe Sislak. His bar was closed because of Burns' negligence. Liquor connoisseur Barney Gumble. When Moe's closed, Barney lost his only means of support. Sucking coins out of the love tester machine. That's a real good way to get sick. Dedicated educator Principal Seymour Skinner. His school lost millions when Burns pirated its oil well. And grounds tender groundskeeper Willie. He lost his job and his dream of owning a fine crystal slop bucket. Hey, what about that jazz teacher that got laid off? You know, uh, Mr. Sambas and your mambo, what was it? Tito Puente? Yeah. Well, he did vow revenge. <laughs> but I can't see him doing something illegal. He's in show business. He's a celebrity. Let's roll, boys. Oh, I was just going to say the, uh, the Jasper thing, that... I love Jasper. That character is so great. He kills me. And I love um, him accosting Smithers on the sidewalk and just, you know, sidewalks for regular walking, not fancy walking. <laughs> and then when they, they ask him to see his leg later on, he goes, you shot who and the what now? And I love, I love that joke so much. It's so funny. So <laughs> I actually didn't make a note about this, but I do want to mention it. As a kid, my grandpa would commonly say, shot who with the what now? Uh, really? And so I didn't, at first, when I heard this joke as an adult, I was like, wait a minute, is that what my grandpa was always saying? Did he watch this episode with me and think that it was funny? So I do think so. Unfortunately, he is no longer with me, oh. uh, so I cannot ask him, but he would always, like, if he didn't understand what I said, even if I was like, hey, do you want to go <laughs> shoot basketball? He'd say, shot who with a what now? So <laughs> I got to think that that's either a reference to something that I couldn't find, or he just Watched the episode with me and was, and was dropping a, a reference. So shout out to my grandpa, rest in peace. Um, so one thing that I found very funny about this scene is that in the last episode, you talked about how, you know, the way clues are dropped everywhere. It sort of feels more like an Agatha Christie novel than yeah. a Simpsons episode. So I love seeing Chief Wiggum literally reference uh, an Agatha Christie novel. He's using it to find what words mean. He's like motive, you know? So yeah. I thought that was a nice little tie around to what you yeah, said. And the, the title of the Agatha Christie book was 10 trite tells, which I thought <laughs> is pretty, pretty funny. I, I actually like Agatha Christie. I've read a couple of uh, her books. They're, they're like little pieces of clockwork. They're really fun. I feel like I did when I was younger. I have zero recollection of them, so I can't be certain. Uh, no surprise when you've heard me talk about this sort of thing before. <laughs> Um, so in this scene, we also, uh, we hear that one of the ways Barney makes a living is by sucking <laughs> coins out of a machine. So this is another thing we talked about the cigarette butts. Um, I compared that to cold brew, which is going to give me lots of hay mail. Um, but this is another thing, like the thought of coins 
in my mouth just makes me want to throw up. I can't stand that. Yeah. <laughs> I love how often the love tester shows up in The Simpsons, too. I feel like, was it Flaming Moe's, maybe? It was, it was, it played a big part in another episode. Well, there's also a, there's a, there's a treehouse of horror where grandpa becomes the love tester machine. He like lives inside of it. That's (laughs) right. That's a weird one, man. Love Matic grandpa. I love that. That's good. That's good. Uh, We also, we, you know, we're looking at all the suspects in this scene and this is another thing that really kills me where Chief Wiggum doesn't remember Tito Puente's name. And he says, (laughs) oh, you know, Mr. He says like Mr. Samba, Senior Mambo, like that. That whole thing really cracks me up. Chief Wiggum's such a dumbass. He really is. And he, it's really on display in this episode. You know, he he was reading Agatha Christie for police tips and they hadn't even like made a suspect list. Lisa had to make a list and bring it to him. And Lisa's really running the show here, which Lisa does when she's... I love when Lisa solves a mystery. And this is a great example of her just getting out there and doing it, you know. Um, 100%. She plays a big part in this episode, unlike the first part. And uh, that's definitely something we'll talk a little more about as we go. Yeah. Uh, I'm also, you know, they go to check on Tito Puente, uh, even though Lisa's like, oh, there's no way he could do it. And I'm just going to drop the song in here because it rules. It's catchy. And uh, it's I don't think catchy. anyone will have a problem with that. Revenge? Of course. But why wound his body with bullets when I could set his soul afire with a slanderous mumble? Listen, if you will, to my revenge. Uno, dos, tres. One last long, but an insulting song Burns will always carry with him So I settle my score on the salsa floor With this vengeful Latin rhythm Burn Con el corazón de perro Señor Burn But all of us despise you Please die And fry In hell You rotten Rich Old wretch Adios viejo Yeah Okay, okay, I believe you're innocent Gee, I hope all those suspects are as much fun <laughs> I just love when there's a musical number in The Simpsons. I mean, they're they're so, so good. And uh, the other thing that I thought was hilarious, it's a visual gag. So you heard the song, but you didn't see it. You know, it, it, while the song's playing, you see the band playing instruments. It's a, it's a big band, you know, I'm talking like 30 people. And at one point, it cuts to a conga player, and he's like slapping on the conga. And on the face of the conga is a picture of Mr. Burns, and he's just slapping it in the face over and over. Just little details of, you know, Tito Puente getting his revenge with music. I wish everyone got revenge with music. It'd be great. If, if only. I mean, and we talked about we talked about in the last episode also uh, animation cells and how there's multiple things in these episodes that would be cool to own. Imagine having a cell of the band playing or just the guy rocking that conga. Oh, it's so great. <laughs> it's also I don't know if we mentioned this um, in the last episode or if Bill Oakley mentioned it when we talked to him, but you know, Bill assumed that Tito Puente was a singer. 
So he wrote, they wrote this musical number and they found out that Tito Puente is a band leader. He doesn't sing. He's, he's a drummer. He leads the band. He makes the arrangements for this music. And so they had to get um, one of his band members to sing the song, which kind of threw the production in a, a they staggered for a moment in production and then found a nice solution for it. But it's just, it's just funny. They thought he thought he was a singer. I I didn't know. I did. this you know, this is my only reference to Tito Puente is this episode. So. Yeah, and it is funny. It's worth mentioning again. We did touch on that a little bit, but they for sure did not realize that he didn't sing. So I think yeah. it's cool that they still worked him in. They still yeah. do this great song, and that you know the they wrote so the song for them. Obviously, the the team did. Uh, so it's really you know it's it's a really good one, and I just think. You know, what an obscure guest star, but somehow feels really good in this universe. He does a great job. Very funny. Um, and like I said, he passed away just a few years later. So he was still, you know, with it until the end, seems like. Yeah. Okay. So Skinner is interrogated by the cops in this next scene. And he was planning, we learn, on ambushing Mr. Burns, but accidentally got his mom's makeup bag instead and is caught in his mother's makeup by Chalmers. Uh, this scene is very funny, but I have a strange question. Uh, I want to see what you think and what everyone thinks. Feel free to send me an email. Do you think it's implied that they had sex? (laughs) No, I did not think that at all. (laughs) Because he says, can Chalmers, you know, vouch for your whereabouts? And he said, oh yes, but anything else he tells you is a filthy lie. (laughs) To me... That sounds like they might have had an, a little moment outside of their friendship. I don't know if are I'm you, reaching. Are you shipping them right now? <laughs> you know, normally not, but I feel like that is the joke. Am I alone? I guess I am. I, I took that as like, um, he just didn't want the cops to know that he was wearing his mother's makeup. He's like, if he tells you that, then it, I have a, I have a funny false memory with this scene. And my memory, because it's, it's Chalmers and Skinner, and there's always like a really great back, esteemed hams sort of back and forth with them. And it, like... I always have this, like, the moment Skinner's on screen and then Chalmers walks in, I get so excited because I just, you, <laughs> you don't know what's going to happen, you know? And I have a false memory that they have, like, a longer back and forth, but they don't. He just says, you know, Chalmers sees him in the makeup and just says, oh, my God, you know? Yeah. And then it just cuts. But in my mind, there was a back and forth of him trying to explain the makeup away. And he'd be like, in the banner headline sort of thing, but... It doesn't actually happen. It's you just- know, I, I'm just going to say, and, and maybe I'm wrong and I'm willing to be wrong. Um, I think it is implied that Skinner is so eager to uh, win the approval of, of Chalmers that maybe they didn't, I shouldn't say they had sex, but maybe they had an intimate moment. Who knows? But I just feel like there's a reason. A little cuddle? There's a reason he <laughs> he mentions that, oh, but don't believe anything else he says, which implies that <laughs> something happened. Who knows? That's how that scene has always struck me. So I don't know. It's also an interesting callback to the last episode. Um, there was that gag. Uh, Principal Skinner left his mother behind. You right. know? And the reason he did is because he's in the bathroom with her handbag putting her true. makeup on. <laughs> Very true. I love the idea that he nicely did his makeup before realizing he had the wrong bag. I think yeah. that's also... <laughs> How far into it do you get before you realize it's your mother's makeup? Yeah, he gets his eyes done up nice. He gets his he gets everything done. He goes, oh, wait a minute. Yeah, I grabbed the wrong on. bag. As yeah, if you do it nice, the same long way. long eyelashes. <laughs> yeah, as if you do it the same way. I think that's yeah, very yeah. funny also. <laughs> Wor- worth noting. So we also see Willie and Moe be interrogated and these are too good not to play here uh this clip of mo this is i'm just gonna tell you now is what i was referring to earlier this is one of my favorite jokes yes see that's (laughs) why that's why i waited because that is worth it uh so this brandon and i in full agreement 
One of the best jokes in The Simpsons is the Mo part of this clip. Superintendent Chalmers can vouch for your whereabouts? Oh, yes. But anything else he tells you is a filthy lie. I'm telling you, I could never have shot Burns. It's impossible for me to fire a pistol. If you'll check my medical records, you'll see I have a crippling arthritis in my index fingers. Look at them! I got it from Space Invaders in 1977. Oh, yeah, that was a pretty addictive video game. Video game? Do you hold a grudge against Montgomery Burns? No. All right, maybe I did, but I didn't shoot him. Checks out. Okay, sir, you're free to go. Good, because I got a hot date tonight. A date. Dinner with Fred. Dinner alone. Watching TV alone. All right. I'm going to sit at home and ogle the ladies in the Victoria's Secret catalog. See his catalog. Now, would you unhook this already, please? I don't deserve this kind of shabby treatment. Yeah, that joke fucking <laughs> wrecks me. I think it just... Dude. I'm not even hearing you play the clip. I'm just playing it in my mind. And it just... There's so many... There's like three or four jokes in that joke. Each on their own would be one of the funniest things ever. You know, him being like, Sears catalog. Okay. You're a Victoria's <laughs> Secret catalog. Okay, Sears catalog. And you know, then, I don't deserve this sort of shabby treatment. Ding. The cherry on top. The cherry on top. <laughs> no, not ding. Uh, a buzzer, actually. Not a ding. He yeah. does deserve that sort of treatment. Um, Hot date. Cold date. It's so good. <laughs> such a... Just just the whole thing's perfect. Uh, the, the stuff with Willie is also very funny. Not as funny in audio if you don't know the gag, but everyone does. Uh, but just a great scene. Uh, so after this, we get some more reasons to think that maybe grandpa could be involved. So now we the know it's not scene. Smithers. Uh, you know, I also want to mention this because you obviously can't hear this in audio, but did you notice Brandon that when Marge walks in on grandpa in the kitchen, he is pouring orange juice in his cereal. No, I didn't notice that. That's <laughs> so good. Oh my gosh. That's great. <laughs> so, so, you know, adding to the, uh, you know, the mini, problems with grandpa's brain he is eating orange juice in his cereal which is very funny <laughs> something i didn't really notice uh until this watch somehow uh but every time you go back and watch it now he has a thing of orange juice on the table uh so then then this is followed by a very obvious twin peaks reference what did you note about this brennan oh man this is this is really great um my big question was you know lisa comes in you know wake falls asleep Lisa comes in in his dream, and then she's talking backwards. It's a reference to Twin Peaks, um, which I haven't seen, but I have seen this scene in Twin Peaks. I really love um, that actor that was in that uh, in Twin Peaks. He did another show called uh, Carnival on HBO, which is one of the best shows. It was so good. Twin Peaks is great, Brandon. You would like it. So I'm I need to check it out. I you would like it. Out. They they drop references all the time in The Simpsons to Twin Peaks. But my big question was, was did Yardley uh, record the audio to this backwards, you know, or was it some sort of effect? And as you, I'm sure, know, they uh, they did. She she learned the lines backwards and they recorded them and then reversed them, uh, which is which is really, really, really great. A technique known as phonetic reversal. How do you how do you do that, man? Like that's got to be I, the only way I can assume, and I didn't look too much into the technique or how it's done, but I think if you record something and then play it backwards and sort of memorize how to say it backwards, mm, that, that when sense. you record that and then reverse that, it will sound correct. Um, a very weird thing. But I also yeah. mentioned earlier that Lisa 
has a really big part in this episode. And I think I sort of forget every time until I watch it, how big of a role she plays in this story. And, you know, I think that Yardley is one of the unsung heroes of this story. I think her, all her reads are super funny. A lot of her delivery in this episode is, is very, very funny. And we're seeing an episode where Bart does basically nothing. So, so Lisa really stands out. I think this is probably one of her best performances as Lisa. Yeah, it's really, it's really, really, really excellent. Um, just, just so good all around. They also, so I will note this about the phonetic reversal. That's the same way they did it in Twin Peaks. Uh, so I, I assume that's where they got the idea that that would work. Uh, and several other parts of the segment are direct references uh, to the dream, including a moving shadow on the curtain and Wiggum's hair standing straight up after he wakes up. So those are also oh, references funny. to Twin Peaks. Um, and so, I, you know what? I wasn't going to, but I feel like I also need to drop that in. We're still not close. Boy, this is going to be an all-night brain buster. Yep, better drink some coffee. Oh, we're out of coffee. Ah, well, I'll just drink this warm cream. Oh. I'm not following you. Burns is you. Burns is you. Huh? Look at Burns and suit. Yeesh. Ha, ha, ha. I had an idea, Chief. Why don't we check out that suit Burns was wearing when he got shot? Did you have the same backwards talking dream with the flaming cards? I'll drive. Yeah, the way she, the way she says Burns is suit. Burns is suit. I, like I, <laughs> I have such a childhood sense memory to that because it's just it's it's iconic in a way. Yeah, so good. She again, she fucking kills it in this episode. And you know, maybe I'm biased. Everyone knows I love Yardley, uh, but I, I just truly I think she's so good in this episode. So after this dream, Wiggum goes to inspect the suit after this bizarre encounter with backward speaking girl, as he says where he finds an eyelash and upon bribing the lab tech at the facility with a box of cigarettes to hurry up the results, we learn that it has to be someone with Simpson's DNA. Hey, Chief Wiggum, what are you doing? What's going on? I'm sorry, kid. We got Simpson DNA on Burns' clothing and your father was identified by the old man himself. <gasps> DNA, positive ID, those won't hold up in any court. Run, Dad! Hey-ho, look what I found under Mr. Simpson's car seat. I swear, I've never seen that gun before! Then why are your fingerprints all over it, sir? Ah! This bullet matches the one we took out of Burns. Homer Simpson, you're under arrest for attempted murder. No! Yeah, that's what they all say. I'll say dough. So basically, this is where it really seems like it could be Homer. Yeah, the episode's kind of a, a like this is the tipping point in the episode. It's a it's a race to the end from this point on. It, it's kind of not necessarily the climax, but really kicks everything into high gear because um, we've gotten rid of most of the major suspects. It they think it's Homer, 
Um, I also really love the uh, the DNA lab tech interactions. You know, he has he gives him a, a carton of cigarettes to speed. He bribes him with a carton of cigarettes. <laughs> I just love the idea of a DNA lab tech smoking cigarettes. It's funny. <laughs> and then um, how the question of how how do they get the DNA? And he says, if you ever handled a penny, the government has your DNA. That's why we keep them in circulation. So watch out for pennies. Honestly, probably <laughs> true. That's probably yeah. probably 100% true. Um, so one thing I do like a lot about this scene, and we talked about you know just a moment ago that Bart doesn't do a lot here, but Bart trying to sort of fake out the cops, really fucking funny. I mean, just the yeah. like, oh, no, yeah, run, dad. Um, yeah. That's really great to me, a, a nice little scene. Uh, and also just some classic Wiggum, you know, not being clever, like just oh, has man. nothing funny to say back, <laughs> um, which is something that I think bleeds into modern episodes that people tend to forget is that most of the time jokes written for Wiggum are bad on purpose because he's an yeah. idiot. Yeah. Uh, and this is a perfect example of that. Yeah. There was, um, we, we, we missed it earlier. There was a, a, a Bart moment that was really great. He doesn't do a lot in this episode, but he had, um, earlier they're trying to solve the mystery and Marge is like, how about let's solve the mystery of why there was all that mud in the freezer. And then Bart <laughs> strolls into the room and says, who wants chocolate ice cream? And Homer goes, I do, I do. Just, just a great joke. But also I got to think frozen mud doesn't look like ice cream. Maybe it does. I know. I know. <laughs> Okay, so we're talking about references in this episode, and I don't want to gloss over this, but it would not play well in audio, so I'm not going to. Uh, but when Homer escapes at the fast food restaurant, uh, we have a very, very direct reference to The Fugitive, which I actually have seen, and it's pretty spot on. Yeah, it's great. It's uh, There's there's so much going on in the scene, and there's so many great little jokes. I mean, Jasper shows up again. He, he they do the joke, you know, sidewalks not for a fancy walking, drive-throughs not for a parking. Just just really really great. And they also like nailed sort of the um the screen geography of that scene from the fugitive, you know, the, with the the train crash and all of that. It's just it's excellent. I love Homer running with his feet. Uh, buckled together because he's he's handcuffed and his feet are cuffed and he's just doing this little like shimmy. It's hilarious. Just another opportunity to sort of, you know, highlight how great Wes is. Like he really, you know, he he clearly modeled this perfectly to what it is a reference of. And that's just one of his strengths. I mean, he really knows yeah. how to pull these sort of things off. Uh, and I also, you know, I love the joke that after this crazy moment, like the drive-thru gets destroyed, every, you know, a guy escapes from, you know, being arrested and the guy, you know, the pimply faced teen just goes, Diane, I'm going to take my break. <laughs> Which I love that character. Always really funny. Another, have you know, to ask my manager, <laughs> a voice that Dan, does. I always forget it's Dan, but if you, it Dan? you know, it's the fact that he is Homer and also this, this teenager could not sound more different. So it's another testament the funniest, to Dan. Uh, one of the funniest voices on the show. It's so good. Easily. Never a thing he says that's not funny. Yeah. So this is followed, and we're getting to the real meat and potatoes of this episode now. This is followed by Burns only being able to say two words, and then we have Marge just not understanding what DNA is. Hi, everybody. Who, Miss Imp, son? Okay, that was a little strange. Um, tell me, how are you feeling today? Homer. Simpson, Homer. Simpson. Hmm, that seems to be all you can say. When you were in that coma, did you feel your brain getting damaged? 
The police have such a strong case against Homer. Mr. Burns said he did it. They have Homer's DNA. They have Simpson DNA. It could have come from any of us. Except you, since you're a Bouvier. No, no, no. When I took your father's name, I took everything that came with it, including DNA. Okay, Mom. Anyway, my point is, the evidence isn't as concrete as it seems. Like those fingerprints. They could have gotten on the gun some other way. Are you sure you don't want me to hold one of your ice cream cones? Yeah, right. You chose fruit, you live with fruit. Don't you... Oh. No, no, no. You... Why is this on the floor? We don't even know whose gun that was. Maybe somebody planted it there to frame Dad. No, we can't start thinking that way about our own family members. Suspicion could tear us apart. That's right. We all gotta stick together if we're gonna have any hope of bringing that awful Homer to justice. So, you know, like I was saying, you know, I'm not sure uh, that Yardley gets enough credit in this episode because she really is one of the main characters and also super funny. But this scene with Marge, like the way she just sort of rolls her eyes uh, at Marge <laughs> telling her that she took Homer's DNA when they were married, just a very, very well observed of how you would react when you just don't have the time to argue with yeah, someone. I, I can't even, there's, there's a couple of good um, sort of Marge Lisa moments like that in, in the, the canon of Simpsons history. It's nuclear, nuclear. <laughs> <laughs> Another one of my favorite jokes. Good. So, so this is where things really start getting wild. You're like, okay, maybe Homer did do it. Uh, why is Burns saying his name over and over? Does that imply that it's the last person he saw? This is, this is where everything starts really moving quickly. And I think this episode, as Bill noted, does move quickly anyway. They actually couldn't get everything in to this episode that they wanted to. And so in this next scene, Smithers offers a reward for Homer's capture, which sends the town into a frenzy and again, makes Homer seem even more like the shooter. Here is a photo of the fugitive from our files. And now Waylon Smithers, uh, who's been a real good sport about that wrongful arrest thing, <laughs> has a uh, statement that he would like to make, Waylon. Thank you. As Montgomery Burns' closest friend, I'm certain that there is nothing he would want more than swift, brutal revenge against Homer Simpson. Therefore, I am offering a $50,000 reward for his capture. Dead or alive. Holy cow, me first! Me first! Homer Simpson? So, you finally learned my name, eh? Homer Simpson? <laughs> I've got no time for your demented parlor games! You won't be telling anyone else that Homer Simpson shot you. So I really wish I could remember how I felt watching this part of the episode as a kid. Do you have any recollection, Brandon? Because it's gone for me. No, I, I remember always really loving, and still to this day, really loving any time uh, the town is whipped up into a mob. It happens all the time, and it's just always so funny. Yeah, I think we said last episode when they had the town hall, anytime the like entire ensemble of the town gets to get into a thing together is really, really funny. And I always really loved the Apu joke, uh, you know, be careful when you get them, you won't get the reward. If uh, if you don't have 51% of the carcass. 51%. <laughs> so specific. Well, you got to have the, the majority of it, you know, to get see, the money. <laughs> but what, well, what if you only have like his legs and like part of his torso? I mean, that just seems not. <laughs> if they go by weight, I, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, very, very interesting. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I agree with you. I like seeing everyone sort of 
And if we know anything about Springfield is that they will turn on the, they will turn on someone as a whole at the drop of a hat. So this is nothing yeah. new. Uh, you, you mentioned money or any sort of real opportunity or, Oh, yeah. that's the guy let's get him. And there's everyone's ready to grab their pitchforks yeah, and just yeah, go for whoever. So this is another, another thing about Springfield that you got to sort of love, you know? Well, one thing that's interesting to note is that the, um, you hear that Homer's at the hospital over the, the police radio. The suspect has been seen at Marvin Monroe Memorial Hospital, which I had no idea. You know, there's this, this, this classic sort of Simpsons through line. Is Marvin Monroe dead? Is he not? They really mess with that storyline, especially in the, the more recent seasons I've learned. I didn't really know about. But I thought it was interesting. Marvin Monroe Memorial Hospital, it seemed like this is it. He, the, guy, the guy's dead, you know. Yeah, I really feel like they didn't know what to do with Marvin Monroe. Like, I feel like they, at a certain point, they just didn't realize, they didn't see any sort of reason to keep him around. But also, like, in the show, we rarely see people die yeah. uh, unless they actually have to. So they've made multiple jokes, like you said, in recent years of like, oh, he's not actually dead, but he is. Like, there's a treehouse where it's like, oh, you are. I thought you weren't dead, but he's like, oh, it's complicated. Uh, so, I mean, yeah, Marvin Monroe technically is dead, but I think they've, I think they've brought him back a couple times, not yeah. being dead. Who really knows? Um, it's so interesting because, like, you know, he, he's really only notable for that one early episode where the family does electroshock therapy together, which they they used in um, advertisements for the show for years. You know, yeah. when Fox moved it to Sunday I remember they would always play that little clip catch the Simpsons and stuff like that but it, it, he's such a throwaway character they could have just not ever brought him back and that would have been that but the fact that they they actually have kept him alive by saying that he's or by implying that he's dead is just a really weird sort of uh what a weird piece of the the sort of Simpsons Simpsons uh, canon in history you know yeah and I think it's another testament to just you know they didn't know how long the show would exist certain yeah. characters they felt like they didn't have anything new to write about them so they just kind of left them out of the show uh, yeah. <laughs> like you know we have no more jokes for this guy so let's just pretend he's dead you know <laughs> they made um, him into a joke <laughs> yeah and then you know 20 years later they're like man we need some we need a doctor okay let's just use marvin monroe yeah. um so I, I think there's something to that also it seems like the only people they ever accidentally or play around with killing are the doctors they did the same thing in the simpsons movie with dr nick Oh yeah, they, they act right. like he's dead at the end. He's like sort Bye, of Bye everybody. <laughs> yeah. So that's that's really interesting. So so since we bring up Marvin Monroe, we'll 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 move to the very end of this episode and that is when just as the town learns where Homer is, they all rush to his location so they rush to the hospital and they find Homer violently shaking Burns, which seemingly, you know, helps him snap out of the coma a little bit. Um, and this is followed by Homer grabbing a gun and pointing it right at Burns' head right before we get the full story from Burns and we finally know what happened. Be careful when we capture him. We cannot claim the reward unless we have 51% of the carcass. Stop Lucy, telling him it was me! Oh, Lucy, I'll Lucy, kill Lucy, you for Lucy, saying it was me! Johnson, what? Who is the meaning of this? Smithers, who is this beast that's shaking me? No! Say it! 
say I never shot you! Before. Shot? <laughs> By you, I'm afraid not, my primitive friend. Your kind has neither the cranial capacity nor the opposable digits to operate a firearm. The one who shot me was... Ah! 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 Maggie Simpson! With the sunblocker in place and the town aghast, I was on top of the world. So I wanted to kick up my heels and indulge my sweet tooth. I feel like celebrating. Oh, it's you. What are you so happy about? <gasps> I see. Yes. That's the one. Smithers had thwarted my earlier attempt to take candy from a baby. But with him out of the picture, I was free to wallow in my own crapulence. Well, I think you'd better drop it. But the old axiom was misleading. Taking the candy proved exceedingly difficult. I said drop it. Stricken, I lurched forth in search of aid. But finding only slack-jawed gawkers, I gave up and collapsed on the sundial. Then with your last ounce of strength, you pointed to W and S. Or, from your point of view, M and S. Maggie Simpson. What? No! With my last ounce of strength, I sucked out my cold feelings and swallowed them. Those paramedics have sticky fingers. Well, I'm just relieved that Homer's safe and that you've recovered and we can all get back to normal. If Maggie could talk, I'm sure she'd apologize for shooting you. I'm afraid that's insufficient. Officer, arrest the baby. <laughs> yeah, right, Pops. No jury in the world's gonna convict a baby. Maybe Texas. Besides, she didn't mean it. It was an accident. I also like um, Homer doesn't just grab a gun and point it at his head. He, th Homer's trying to prove that he's innocent. And he's, he's such a doofus that the way he does this is by grabbing a gun and pointing it at Burns and telling him to tell them that he's innocent. But if you look, <laughs> the, gun is, the gun is cocked. The, yeah. It is back. It, like, he, he was ready to shoot. It wasn't just a threat. <laughs> yeah. And he was, you know, this is, a, this is pretty violent. For yeah. the show, you know, like we're literally seeing Homer on the brink of killing someone because he's so sick of him not remembering him, but then accusing him. And we get that whole scene, which I did not clip where he's like, oh, so now you remember my name. He's like yeah. so angry at Burns. And, you know, arguably, maybe he has a right to be. I mean, Burns, he's worked for Burns for a long time. He does not remember him. And now he's out here telling people in Homer's mind that he did something he didn't do. So there's a lot of tension there, a lot of frustration between the two, and that's hard for him to deal with. I sort of understand. I'm not saying yeah. I would shoot the guy, but well, it's like Springfield's uh, most wanted. The question shouldn't be who did shoot Mr. Burns; it's who wouldn't. <laughs> True. And again, let's talk about a cell, which I'm sure they've all been destroyed mm. uh, for secrecy when they were making this episode. But a cell of of Homer with the gun at his head. Come on. Oh yeah, that's that such would a good be... pose too. There's like a nice straight line from the the tip of the gun to his shoulder. It's such a good, the pose is just excellent. Classic Simpsons animation. Some really good, like just the, the way a lot of these scenes are, are, are posed and set up are just really, really great. 
Um, and I mean, there's not a whole lot of funny jokes in this last clip, but the, I love the, I love the whole joke about, Oh, no one's going to convict a baby. Well, maybe Texas, yeah. uh, a joke that's still pretty, you know, feels pretty on brand. And we got another, uh, we have another Mr. Burns, uh, word, you know, last, last episode it was, was dunderpate. This episode is crapulence. Uh, I forgot Mr. to look Burns. this up. Is this a real word? It's a real word. I looked it up. It's a real word. Um, and it basically is just, you know, filth is what it means. It, <laughs> it, it, it means exactly what it sounds like. But I just wanted to be a real piece of shit. Yeah. I just wanted to really wallow in my shittiness. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, that that brings us to the end. And I got to say, um, you know, this episode's a work of art, man. Uh, yeah, I think it gets, and, and I say episode in the sense of both put together. Uh, it only gets better with age. Uh, I think there's always something to find. This episode's been dissected by a million podcasts, I'm sure. Uh, but there's always like something to discover, uh, a hidden clue, a shot. I, I feel like every time I dig into anything like this, I find out something I didn't know. Yeah, there's there's still probably a, a whole mountain of iceberg worth of information on, that we haven't found on this particular episode. There's just, I think that's part of why the Simpsons are so great, why they've stood the test of time, is that they really, it, there's there's a lot of depth to the comedy, to the story writing, and then there's also just the rewatchability. They put so much in there. There's jokes on jokes and jokes. I um, There was a, I was listening to stuff for this episode, and I can't, I wish I could remember who exactly said it, but they were saying that this episode they um they played it like 90% speed you know they 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 sped it up um by you know just a little bit because there was so much going on and then mm. the that some of the producers liked to do that because it they they almost liked it when there were so many jokes you couldn't catch them all mm. it was going by too fast because you would go back and watch it again and find something else and you can really tell that they were building these episodes to be something that could be watched again and again and again um, and still seem fresh. And, you know, they did it because it's, you know, 20, 30 years later, we're still still watching and finding stuff. Yeah, it's we're great. still watching it and we're still talking about how how ahead of its time that it was, how different it feels from anything else on television. I mean, no show, um, no animated show at this time was interested in doing something this bizarre. Like, I can't think of anything even comparable to, to, to having a two part episode that bridges the, the end and the beginning of different seasons. I mean, what an insane thing to do. You got to think that most people did not expect that and were shocked that it was actually, like we said in the first episode, sort of played sincerely at times. It just felt so different. And I mean, th I think there's no excuse for this episode not to be in your top five or at least top 10 of all time Simpsons episodes. And Absolutely. it's okay to put them on one line. It's okay. Yeah. I, I count them as one for sure. So, I mean, it's not only, you know, popular with people like us, these episodes were also, I, I made some notes about the ratings because mm. these episodes were popular. I mean, they, they did a good job building the hype. Um, I mean, part one finished 51st with a Nielsen rating of 8.7. This is directly from the Wikipedia. Uh, the fifth highest rated Fox show of the week, part two averaged 12.3 million households and a 12.9 wow. Nielsen rating. It finished 16th in the United States and the ratings for the September for the week of September 11th through the 17th of 1995, finishing first in its time slot and was the highest rated show on the Fox network that week. 
Uh, it helped the Fox network rank third overall for that week at a time when Fox was usually finishing lower than that, around fourth or fifth. Wow, that's incredible. So that is really something to note about this episode that it paid off. Like the amount of hype and the amount of story, the you know, the thinking about it over a long period of time between the two episodes, people wanted to know the answer. They probably were like, oh man, remember that episode from last year? The the final part is this week. Um, so I, you know, and I remember feeling that way. So it is yeah. special. Not only is it, it's not something that got popular after the fact, it was pretty well received even then. Yeah, absolutely. 12 million people. That's, that's crazy. Yeah. You won't see numbers like that on live TV now, unless it's sports. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> you're lucky if you get a, you're lucky if you get like a 16th of that at this point. Yeah. <laughs> so TV has really changed and this is a testament to that, but also again, I'll say it for like the 15th time. What a special episode. Um, is there anything else you want to say or note about this episode, Brandon? Just any final thoughts? Oh, man. I mean, like I said at the at the top of this, I, I really love the the jokes in this episode. They're really, really great. The, each one, each of these two episodes are are very different and they're great in their own way. You know, I love the I love the clue aspect of the first one and then just sort of the the who done it the uh, the jokes of this one and all of that it's it's really great i also just love it ending on um on on lisa or on maggie and it zooms in on her like sucking her pacifier and it slows it down to where it sounds like a gun cocking <laughs> and then just it's it's out you know it's, out. it's just stone, stone cold killer yeah. yeah well you know i i think also one thing that we might not have touched on enough is we learn in Rosebud, and I know I said Rosebud as an example earlier, that Maggie clearly knows who Mr. Burns is. She has mm-hmm. a previous relationship with Burns, and she doesn't like him, clearly. And I think yep. is I think there's something very funny to the idea that this wasn't an accident. He tried to take something from her again after having previously done this to her, and she actually gave it to him the first time, probably regretted giving him Bobo. Um, and so... You know, she has a grudge with Burns and she's she's not going to do it this time. And she is aware that he is a piece of shit. And so <laughs> when the gun falls into her lap, she sees an she opportunity she, to do something. She does something. pull that trigger. You know? Yeah. She does pull that trigger. There, there, there is two things. Um, this episode is referenced or these two episodes are referenced later in The Simpsons. And it's been one of those tip of my tongue driving me crazy things. Maybe you can remember what episodes these two moments come from. One of them is Mr. Burns and Maggie are around each other and he sees her, she sees him and she gives a little finger gun at him and almost like winks and points a finger gun at him. It is hilarious. What a subtle, just throwaway callback to such a huge thing. You know, you know, the, the, the thing people say where they're like, Oh, if it was a snake, it would have bit me. If you yeah. hadn't asked me, I could have told you I know, the name. I I'm know. sure maybe, were, maybe some, somebody's going to write in. Maybe someone, <laughs> someone's screaming at their, their phone right now. They know the yeah. answer, but yeah, I mean, so, so they let this sort of, you know, live throughout the series. Yeah. They make multiple jokes about it in the future. They, they bring back, you know, the idea of this. And I think, People get upset about how sometimes there's not a lot of continuity in The Simpsons, but I think these two episodes also are special in the sense that in the first episode, we see continuity. It's like, oh, my, you know, he references when Bart was his heir, where Maggie found Bobo. We get references to this. It makes it feel in the same space. And I think both of these are a good example of that. And they do that 
a little more with this story moving forward. So it kind of does encapsulate uh, continuity in a nice way that you don't always get with the show. So that's something about it I also love. Yeah, absolutely. I, I've always loved the fluid continuity of The Simpsons. You know, you never know what what will become canon, what won't, and it's it's kind of a fun adventure to see. Or sometimes they come become canon in a way you wouldn't expect, and all that. It's it's really really fun. Totally agree. And and speaking of that, and sort of on that same thought, uh, I am blanking on the name of it, but the the recent episode from the current season about bleeding gums, Murphy and his his son. Uh, is actually oh. really great. It's sort of is a callback to his death and how Lisa, you know, knows everything about him, but somehow doesn't know that he had a son and she meets him. And it's, it's, it does a good job of respecting the continuity. Obviously, some people don't like that she has an iPad. That's okay. Oh. It's 2022, guys. Um, the Simpsons is not only made for you, it's made for everybody. And some kids need to yep. see things they recognize. I, but this is, you know, something also I wouldn't about make a sense, lot. you know, yeah, right. the, the, I remember the first time I saw like an iPhone in the Simpsons, I had a, I, I did have like a visceral no reaction, but that's just me, you know, that's just nostalgia and like that whole thing trying to, trying to take hold. And of course you got to, there, there's so many great jokes that you could tell if you acknowledge that technology is a huge part of our day-to-day lives and the Simpsons is commentary on our day-to-day lives. If they didn't bring that stuff in, then it would it would be stale. It wouldn't be funny anymore. And they, they got to keep with it, you know, and they're, they do a great job of it too. 100%. So that's my, you know, I haven't plugged a new episode in a while. Again, I'll say current season, really, really good. A lot of good episodes in this season. Um, so, so definitely watch that. Uh, and Brandon, you know, as we close up, man, I just want to say thanks for joining me for these. You know, when I first approached Brandon with this idea of reviewing episodes or getting him more involved in the podcast from time to time, I had no idea, you know, how we would do it at first or what we would do. But I really enjoy doing this with Brandon. I think he brings a lot of good information. Uh, and like I said, you know, the numbers on the episodes seem to point to the same thing. You all seem to like this. But let me know. You know, I'd like to hear from all of you. Do you want more episodes like this? Are you interested in having these monthly? Uh, and if you don't say anything, I'm just going to assume that's a yes. So if you want to let me know how you feel, shoot me a message, uh, DM, email, whatever you want, please do that. Uh, but again, thanks, man. I really appreciate you being on this. Oh, man. Thanks for having me on here. It's, uh, it's a pleasure talking with you. It's, it's awesome talking about The Simpsons. But also, like, I'm having so much fun doing the research on these episodes. I, it's so cool to learn something about something you thought you knew everything about, you know, it's, um, right. it's great. It's humbling for sure. Right. It's and fun. you know, like I said, Brandon, you do a great job with that. So that, yeah, that rules, man. Uh, and also big thanks to Bill Oakley, uh, you know, for always being so giving of his time coming on, uh, chatting with us, uh, earlier in the week. And, uh, you know, I'm sure some of you took a little something new from that part of the episode and the questions we asked. Uh, so hopefully that taught you something new and I just want to give Bill some love on the way out. Yeah. Bill's amazing. Bill rules. So also, I will say, this is something I made a note of fresh today. This is fresh to the notes, fresh edition. Uh, if you want more of me, uh, I was just featured in a video about Bongo Comics over on the Simpsons Theory YouTube channel. Uh, they did a, a video just all about the history, and they had some questions for me. They also talked to Bill Morrison, who's been on the show multiple times. I love Bill Morrison. So an another Bill that rules within the world of the Simpsons. So if you want to watch that, uh, it will be live at the time you're hearing this. So I will put the link to that in the description. Go watch that video. Uh, the Simpsons theory is great. Let them know that you're watching it. Let them know that you're enjoying it. Uh, aside from that, if you have any questions or comments, you can email me at simpsonsisgreat at gmail.com. 
If you like this podcast, consider leaving me a review on Apple or like I always say, anywhere that accepts reviews, just let them know you're enjoying the show. You can follow the official Instagram account at Simpsons is greater than or on Twitter at Simpsons is great. If you're curious about me or my Simpsons collection, just search for Bart of Darkness on Instagram or Twitter and you will for sure find me there and we'll see everybody later.